Heavenly Father, I don't think there's uh, one of us that is not busy, Lord, going about uh, daily tasks and maybe even just trying to manage the week, Lord. And oh, how we need you, Lord. And that is true for today, Lord, especially we're here gathered in this beautiful place that you have blessed this church with, Lord. And we need to hear what it is that you have for us, Lord, that we would be blessed, Lord, or whatever it is that you know what we need, Lord. So I pray that we won't miss that this morning, Lord. Thank you for Pastor JD, Lord, and for allowing him rest and bringing him back to us, Lord. So would you continue to watch over him, Lord, and give him strength and protect him and his family, Lord, that he may stand up here and deliver your word, Lord. Thank you for this day and for this time. In Jesus' name, Jesus name. Amen. amen. And amen. Good morning. You can be seated. Welcome. I want to welcome those of you that are joining us online as well. We're so glad that you are. Uh, before we get started, I just wanted to thank everyone for your grace to me and your patience with me during my extended time off. Uh, also, I would like to apologize for not being clear that I was not planning to be back on Sunday, July 9th, as that was my, I still haven't corrected the typo, uh, my 21st birthday. It's supposed to say 61st birthday. So I wanted to add last Sunday uh, to my time off, and I'm so glad that I did, as my family, as it turns out, really needed me over the last four weeks. That's not to say that they still don't need me. Nice to be needed, but uh, thank you for your grace. Good to be back. Uh, let's get started. Our first service is the Prophecy Update, as you know, and second service is our verse-by-verse -verse study through the Word of God currently in First uh, John. It's going to say Peter. Been gone too long. Um, Lord willing, we'll finish chapter 2 today. And what we're going to do is look at how that the closer we get to the rapture in the appearing of Christ, the more strength and power there is to pull us away from Christ. So that'll be live streamed for those of you joining us online at 11.15 a.m. Hawaii time. And for those of you that are joining us by way of YouTube or Facebook, just as a friendly reminder, we want to encourage you to go directly to the website at jdfarag.org. There you will find the uninterrupted and uncensored entirety of today's update. And what I want to talk to you about today for the update is how that people are revved up, I use that word for a reason, concerning the upcoming pre-tribulation rapture high watch time this year in 2023. And this on two fronts the first of which are those who understandably 
are super excited about the possibility of it actually happening this year at the appointed time, with which some disagree. And secondly, conversely, on the other side of this rapture table are those who sadly are ridiculing of and condescending towards anyone who dares to get excited, quickly labeling them as date setters. Wait a minute. I, I'm just looking for the Lord's return. I'm excited about the Lord's return. I'm longing for the Lord's return. I want the Lord to return, like yesterday. And isn't it sad that we live in a day where a pastor dare not say anything like that which I just said? Because instantly, automatically, by default, now I'm a date setter. Do you hear what Pastor J.D. said? There he goes again. He's predicting that the rapture is going to happen this year. No, I'm not. I want the rapture to happen this year. Leave me alone. We're off to a good start, yeah. May I just humbly suggest we all calm down and keep looking up, knowing as Jesus said, that our redemption draws near. Please know that I in no way wish to pour water on the fire of this heated issue, and a heated issue it is, nor do I wish to put another log on the fire either. Rather, I only wish to make an appeal for calmer minds to prevail, and do so by getting back to basics, back to the Bible, and what the Bible tells us in this regard. And by the way, it's not necessarily what one might think. I have just a, a sampling of some of these basic Bible prophecies that we can fall back on, that maybe we need to get back to as a foundation upon which to build upon this debate, this discussion concerning the pre-tribulation rapture and its nearness. And I'll take it further and say the potential for it actually happening this year. The first one is that Jesus Himself exhorts us to keep looking up for His soon return. This is the well-known verse in Luke 21, 28, Jesus speaking, says, Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads. And here's why, because your redemption draws near. Uh, notice uh, that you're going to see things begin to come to pass. 
And these will be markers, signposts, if you prefer, that we can look to as signs that we're to look up. And we're to look up because He's coming. And our redemption draws near. Before I go to the second one, don't let anyone, oh, how do I say this? Talk down to you or lay a or make you feel badly for looking up for the soon return of Jesus Christ in the rapture of the church. Don't let them intimidate you. Don't let them talk down to you. You're standing on the right side of this. You're standing on solid ground and sound doctrine. This is what Jesus said to do. Just tell them, I'm doing what Jesus said. What are you looking at? Oh, I'm looking up. Why are you doing that? Jesus said to look up. That's why I'm looking up. So the next time you're at a crosswalk, have you ever done this? You know where we're going with this, right? This one person starts looking up. Everybody's like, what are you looking at? Uh, Jesus said to look up because He's coming. So I'm just looking up because He's coming. Number two, a crown awaits those who are longing, aching, yearning, watching, waiting for the rapture. Listen to the Apostle Paul. These are the final words that he penned to Timothy in his second letter recorded chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. He knows that his days are numbered, and they are. And he says to Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, past tense. I have kept the faith, past tense. Now oh, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And then he says this, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his, and I want you to pay particular attention to this word, it's going to come up again, appearing, not coming appearing. That's the rapture. You know what Paul's saying here? He's saying, hey, hey, I got a crown. Oh, I can't wait. But this crown of righteousness that awaits me on that day, it awaits you too. Those of you who long for the rapture to happen. So again, may I just say to you, don't let anyone talk down to you because you're excited about the rapture, longing for the rapture, wanting the rapture to happen. Again, you're on solid ground. This is sound doctrine. 
This is biblical. This is what we're encouraged to do. And it's not just because we want that crown. I mean, let's be honest with ourselves. We want the Lord. It's not that we want what the Lord's going to give us, the gift, the crown. We want the giver. We long for the giver. We long for the Savior in His appearing. Number three, we've talked about this, scoffers of those of us who long for the rapture, uh, it's going to continue to get worse. It will continue. I'll use the word revving up again. It's going to continue to increase. And this is what Peter says in his second epistle, chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. First of all, you must understand that in the last days scoffers will come. And what do scoffers do? Scoff. Scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires, which is very telling in and of itself. And, and here's what they're going to say to you. They will say, <laughs> ridiculing, scoffing, mocking you. Where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Oh, really? So let me see if I got this straight. Don't you just love it when the pastor has an argument with himself behind the pulpit? Well, just bear with me and indulge me. Let me see if I got this straight. So you're telling me that just because it hasn't happened, it's not going to happen? Oh yeah, that makes sense. And not only are you telling me that just because it hasn't happened and it's not going to happen because it hasn't happened, you're mocking me and ridiculing me and belittling me because I still believe that it's going to happen. How about that? Maybe I shouldn't have taken so much time off. I don't know. In other words, the closer we get the more scoffers are going to scoff. So they're going to say this to you and worse, and they do. I mean, I tell you, some of the vile vitriol posted on social media today. I, I, I've shared this with you. The only way I've been able to in any way maintain a level of calm is to realize and remember and that that's on them. They posted that. So they're going to answer for that. Uh, I think we would do well to examine our own lives and our own social media posts and because that's on us what we post, what we say, every word. But the scoffers are increasing and it's actually more evidence, like we need more evidence, forensic evidence, making the case 
that the rapture is at any time by virtue of the fact that these scoffers are increasing as we near the end. Number four, we're told, and this is very important, that we can see the day approaching. Oh, come on, wait, 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 wait. There I go again, arguing with myself. No man knows the day or the hour. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. I think that has sadly, regrettably, unfortunately, been abused and misused. It's a Hebrew idiom, and truth be made known, it ties into a Moad, appointed time Moad in my native tongue of Arabic, and the same word in the Hebrew, the time appointed, the appointed time that points to that time. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25, we have referred to this for what I think would be deemed obvious reasons in light of the events of the last three years. But the writer of Hebrews says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the key word assembling of ourselves together, not gathering. I use the illustration, I'll be brief. I can take my watch, which by the way, this is a Timex that I wear. Takes a licking and keeps on ticking. So I can take this watch and all the parts and I can just gather all the parts together, put it right here. It's not, it's not a watch, it's not functional, it's not operational, it's of no use, it's inconsequential. It has to be assembled. See, we're all different parts of the same body assembled together. We all have our own roles and purposes and functions. And when a healthy body is assembled correctly and functioning correctly, what is the result? The result is a stirring up of love and good works. That only comes when all of the parts of the body are assembled and working and functioning together. We use the word dysfunctional. I came from a dysfunctional family. I have yet to meet anyone who did not come from a dysfunctional family. So in the context of this not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the matter of some, meaning that there were those who were at that time forsaking the assembling of themselves together, and they were just watching the live stream. No, they weren't. Don't. That's okay, because you can't assemble with us. We would love it if you could. But they just forsook the assembly to their own peril at great cost. Because see, what was lost and the cost was now there's no exhorting one another. See, sometimes more ministry takes place not between pulpit and pew, but between you and you. 
where God has a word fitly spoken for you that he wants to speak to you through that brother or sister in Christ that is assembled together with you in the assembling of the saints within the functioning of a church body. The church is not an organization. It is an organism, a living organism. Now, why does the writer of Hebrews go to such lengths to exhort us to consider one another in this regard? What, what is he emphasizing? Do you sense the urgency in this uh, passage? Do you know what the urgency is? The urgency is so much the more as you see the day approaching. In other words, <laughs> we can see the day approaching. As you see the day approaching means we can see the day approaching. Isn't that deeply profound? Why would the writer of Hebrews say that this is even more important, infinitely more important that you do this, exhort one another, stir one another up? It's so important now more than ever as you see the day approaching. Do you see the day approaching? I do. Yeah, we don't know the day or the hour. No, but we can see it approaching. Number five, I'm not angry. Jesus likens his return to the beginning of birth pains. This is, of course, well known. It's in response to the questions, plural, the disciples asked concerning the signs of the end of the age, and when will these things happen, and when will you come, and what will the world look like, and what are we to be looking for? And so Jesus answers the question, verse 4, first thing to be looking out for, watching out for. You ready for it? Wait for it. That no one deceives you. Oh, number one sign that the time of the end is here, not near here, and that the day that we can see approaching is approaching is deception on a scale unknown to man in human history, the likes of which we've never seen before. Number one, he continues, for many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. We're going to talk about that, by the way, second service. Expound on that. Verse 6, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, better translated, threats of wars. But see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And then in verse 8, he likens all of the above to the beginning 
key word of birth pains. What do we know to be true about birth pains? They come in greater frequency and intensity. So Jesus is likening His return to a baby being born. I learned so much more than any husband should know about the birthing process over the years. But you know, when, when the, the, the birthing mother is dilated to 10, that is, is that TMI? The babies are coming. Now, now think this through with me. Jesus, and you'll forgive the silliness with which I illustrate this, but could you imagine once the birth pains begin, you, you can't push the pause button. Could you imagine the doctor coming into the birthing room going, you know, I've got a very important appointment and staff meeting I've got to tend to. Uh, I know the birth pains have started. We just need to hold off until I can, I can get, you can go, but that baby coming. Because once they start and increase in frequency and intensity, there's no stopping it. That baby is coming. And that's what Jesus is saying. Once it starts, there's no stopping it. There's no pausing it. It's going to be more frequent, more intense. All of these things that I'm listing here, they will be like those birth pains. But when it reaches 10, I think we're 9.9999999. The baby's coming. Number six. God doesn't want to scare us. God wants to prepare us. You know, this is one of the main reasons that you'd be hard pressed to find a pastor teach on Bible prophecy. Well, I don't want to scare the people. Oh, well, f first of all, you're wrong on two levels. Number one, uh, Bible prophecy uh, may scare them out of hell into heaven. I'd rather scare you into heaven than flatter you into hell. I'm sorry for saying it like this. You'll forgive me. You have to forgive me. But um, maybe someone needs to have the hell scared out of them. Scared the hell out of me. Good. Are you saved? But that's not the purpose of Bible prophecy chiefly. What is the purpose of Bible prophecy chiefly? It's not to scare us, it's to prepare us. Listen to what Paul said, among other things, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the first two verses, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, and now watch this please, and our being gathered to Him. Did you catch that? Did you make that distinction? Did you delineate between the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him? That's the rapture. Otherwise, Paul would not have been inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this this way. 
He would have said something more along the lines of concerning the coming of our Lord when we're gathered to Him. He doesn't say that. It's a very clear distinction concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered to Him. That's the rapture. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy. Prophecy is not to scare you, not to unsettle you. Do not become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy, report, or letter supposed to have come from us, saying that the day of the Lord has already come. You missed it. See, there was a forged letter bearing Paul's name. It was a forgery that was circulating around the churches at that time in this area. And apparently the Thessalonian church was on the receiving end of this forged letter. And they had completely come unglued and become unsettled and very concerned and very alarmed by this false prophecy, this false report. You know, for me, and this has served me well over the years, the litmus test by which I know I've heard truth is when there's a peace and freedom that ensues. And conversely, when I've heard something false, there's an absence of peace and an absence of freedom that ensues. Why? Because you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that are weary and he heavy laden, and I will give you rest for your souls, because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I know it's the Lord when there's a, it's because James says the wisdom from above is peaceable. There's just a peace. And we've talked about the four legs on the table of knowing if it's God or not, or if it's God's will or not, if it's the Word of God, the peace of God, the providence of God, and the confirmation from God. And that's that scenario where it may very well come from a brother and sister in Christ who says something that only God knew you needed to hear. That's a confirmation. But they all have to be in tandem, in concert, one with the other. You can't just make a decision, especially a very important life-changing decision, solely on the basis of feeling a peace about it. No, it has to be compatible with the Word of God. The Word of God, the peace of God, the providence of God, the confirmation from God. And then what, what comes as a result is, I know that's the Lord. Why? Because the freedom, the yoke is easy, the burden is light. John said the commands of the Lord are not burdensome. That's the Lord. If it's burdensome and weighty, that's not the Lord. And instead of peace, I'm, I'm riddled with doubt and uncertainty, and there's no peace. 
Maybe there's fear. Well, that's not the Lord, because He's not given us a spirit of fear. That right there disqualifies it. Stand alone disqualify. So what's my point? My point is, is that we're getting back to basics now. I hope you don't mind. <laughs> Too late. Now anyway, we're almost done. I got one more after this. I saved the best for last. But we're just going back to basics here. The, the purpose of Bible prophecy. God doesn't want us to be ignorant about Bible prophecy. In fact, that's why well nigh one third of the Bible is prophecy. You kind of get the impression that God wants you to know Bible prophecy. Why does God want you to know Bible prophecy? So you'll be ready. So you'll be prepared. He doesn't want you to be scared or unprepared. He does not want the rapture of the church for you to be as a thief in the night, catching you off guard. This is what Paul continues to talk about to the Thessalonians. Number seven, and I think you'll see why I'm saving this one for the last, because we're going to kind of dovetail off of it. But Bible prophecy provides us with end times timestamps. And this is Daniel 9.27. And this prophecy here in Daniel 9.27 has kind of been at the center and brought to the forefront as of late. Let me just read it. Notice as I do the time stamps in it, He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven, a period of seven, seven years, seven the number of completion, the 70th week of Daniel, the time of Jacob's trouble. Israel still owes God seven years. So this is a a period of seven years. And the Antichrist is going to confirm a covenant, confirm in the Hebrew, again, same word in my native tongue of Arabic, to make stronger in force, confirm, make greater, superior, spectacular, to basically implement and accelerate which implies that there was already something on the table. It would be like if we had an appointment and you know how they, you know, will call you or text you to confirm the appointment. The appointment has to be set before they're going to confirm it. If there's no appointment, what's there to confirm? If there's no covenant already in place, what's there to confirm? Well, they're going to confirm what's already in place, this covenant with many for a period of seven, in the middle of the seven timestamp. He, speaking of the Antichrist, will put an end to sacrifice and offering, and on a wing of the temple he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, This last one, this seventh one, and the common denominator with all seven, not to mention the numerous and voluminous others, is that they're all converging 
as we speak at breakneck speed. And this is why now all of it is coming to the forefront and being discussed. I think all of us would do well to take heed to God's Word and in so doing cease from all the arguing about God's Word. Do you realize that the world, the non-Christian, watches those YouTube channels that are bickering back and forth, arguing about the Word of God? Is it no wonder they have no interest in the things of God? I mean, they get enough of that in the world. And they look at us, as one said, and I think it's well said, we are not very good advertisement for Jesus. I think we misrepresent Him and we bring reproach upon the gospel and the name of Jesus Christ. See, Satan knows this, and this is why he does this, because the litmus test by which we're known to be disciples of Jesus is our love one for another. So Satan flips that around because E-V-I-L, evil, is backwards L-I-V-E, live. So he flips it around, diabolical. And because we'll be known to be his disciples by our loved one for another, wouldn't it stand a reason then that they would question whether or not were his disciples, or even question the Lord, if instead of loving one another, we're fighting with one another. We're no different than the world. In fact, as we talked about on Thursday night, in one of the most graphic chapters in all of God's Word, Ezekiel chapter 16, of which one said it should not even be read publicly, let alone taught. Well, I read it and, and taught it, and you guys endured it, and we're going to get t-shirts that say we survived chapter 16 of Ezekiel. So graphic was the chapter in its parabolic nature about an unfaithful wife of Jehovah Israel, whoring, playing the harlot. And in woven into that ugly chapter, and it's an ugly chapter, and it's there in God's Word, not to show us how bad Israel was, but to show us how good God still is in spite of how bad we are. Because at the end, God says, I still want you back, and I want to clean you up like I did when I first found you, when you were left to die, your umbilical cord not even cut. You weren't washed, you were just abandoned. And I found you, and I cleaned you, and I adorned you, and I married you, and I made you my own. You became mine. Mighty fine. 
And then you broke covenant. You broke the marriage vows and committed adultery. But God still took them back after all they did. And you know how bad it was? It was worse than you can imagine. You know it's bad when in, in Ezekiel chapter 16, God inspires Ezekiel to write that you made the Philistines and Sodom blush. That's bad. Hey, what you did was worse than what the women did in Sodom and Gomorrah. I mean, <laughs> but I still want you back. I still want you back. Here's my point. I, I, I wonder, I, I, are we worse than the world when it comes to this? I, I think sometimes the world treats their own better than Christians treat their own. I'm sorry to say, but I think that sometimes Christians can be so mean, meaner than even the world is. I mean, when it comes to arguing and bickering and fighting and slandering and gossiping and attacking, and I think Christians get the award for that one. Well, this was just my introduction. I'm hoping that with this understanding, we're better able to biblically, biblically process the stunning prophetic developments in recent weeks. By stunning prophetic developments, I mean the recently revealed details of this year's upcoming United Nations Sustainable Development Goals SDG Summit 2023 to be held in September on the 18th and 19th in New York. Of particular interest to those who are students and teachers of Bible prophecy is the specificity with which this year's summit agenda seemingly comports with everything we're told in the Bible about what will happen at the appointed time of the end prophetically. Namely, specifically, chiefly, supremely, a lot of synonyms there. That was pretty good, actually. During the seven-year tribulation, which we are on the cusp of. And in all fairness, it explains why it is that many present company included, are getting pretty excited. Are you kidding me? Did, did, 
actually, I think it's backwards. The question is, is it, why are you so excited about the possibility of the rapture happening this year? No, wrong question. There's no right answer to the wrong question. Let me rephrase the question, make the question right so we can get the right answer. Here's the right question. Why aren't you excited about the rapture happening this year? Huh? Oh, we got plenty of time. Well, it's now. We got another 50 years. That's a whole nother argument. So someone like me has the spiritual spine to stand behind this pulpit, which is my privilege to do every week, except when I'm not here, and have the spiritual spine to say, no, we don't have 50 years. We don't have 30 years. We don't have 20 years. We probably don't have 10 years. We don't have really any more time. And here's why from Scripture. And I'm pretty excited about it. And so my question to you is, why are you excited? Oh, maybe it's because you still think we've got 50 years and you're all about what kind of a world we're going to leave to the next generation. The next generation. No, this is the chosen generation. This is the last generation. This is it, folks. That's all, folks. <laughs> is that how it went? That was pretty bad. Sorry. The end. That's all, folks. And it's not just some wishful thinking pie in the sky, baseless claim. No, it is based on sound doctrine from the infallible Word of God. Because again, remember, God wants us to know, and God told us that we will see the day approaching. So I see the day approaching. You don't. Why don't you? Because you're not looking for it. Why aren't you looking for it? Why aren't you looking up? Because you don't think He's coming yet. You think you got more time. That's the only explanation I can come up with. So this has got people pretty excited. And I'm one of them. In fact, I'm at the front of the line. I mean, you got some Christians out there that are making the case for a Pentecost rapture, which is not the Pentecost that Israel just celebrated. Rather, it's this new wine feast coming up on July 26th and 27th. What's the date today? Is today the 16th? 10, 11 days. Oh my, the uproar, the backlash. 
You're, you're saying the rapture is going to happen on July 26th and 27th. And then here you got this crowd over here going, no, it's not that. It's the Feast of Trumpets this year. No, it's Stop. Stop. Please stop. Just, just stop. Stop. Don't stop the excitement. Stop the bickering. Again, I, I know I'm referencing second service, but there's a very interesting verse. First John chapter 2, verse 28. Wait, spoiler alert. <laughs> you know when Peter, and this is misunderstood, Peter says, so that in his appearing you will be confident and not ashamed. I wonder about that. That gives me pause. Because when the rapture happens, there's going to be this sanctified shame on the part of those who lost confidence in the rapture of the church. Again, that's, you have to wait to second, for second service. We'll talk about that. So we're excited, and rightfully so, because as we're looking at these developments, it would seem to indicate that a possibility of the pre-tribulation rapture happening this year at the appointed time is a very real possibility. On February 8th, the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres outlined the priorities of this agenda for the 2023 UN General Assembly saying, and I quote, listen, 2023 is a year of reckoning. And then he subsequently outlined the core elements, I'm quoting, of the proposed new agenda for peace. I haven't even talked to you about 1 Thessalonians 5.3. You can't read anything anywhere without reading two specific words, peace and security. And the Apostle Paul, writing to the Thessalonians in his first letter, chapter 5, verse 3, says, while they're saying those two words, peace and security. By the way, the United Nations has a Peace and Security Department and website. You can search it. You'll find it. United Nations, Peace and Security. I mean, do they read the Bible? And then create the website and the department there in the United Nations? Well, what's going to happen, Paul, when they're saying those two words, while they're saying, while they're saying peace and security? Oh, I'm glad you asked. Sudden destruction. Here's the thing about sudden destruction. It's destruction that happens suddenly, will come upon them. And as a woman in labor, there's your birth pains, and they will not escape. The inference is, we will, we who are alive and remain, will escape, be caught up. The specificity of said proposed new agenda for peace 
came on June 13th from the United Nations Department of Economic and Social Affairs in a publication bearing the title, listen, we need seven years. Not six, no, seven. Not eight, no, we need seven. Seven years of accelerated Kabir transformative action to achieve SDGs. Listen to these quotes. There's a narrowing window of opportunity over the next seven years to redouble our efforts, make stronger, confirm, enforce Kabir. The SDG summit in September 2023 must signal a genuine turning point. It must mobilize the political commitment and breakthroughs our world desperately needs. <laughs> and listen to this, still quoting, it must deliver a rescue plan for people and planet. Oh, sounds like you're looking for a savior to rescue people and planet. Oh, I, how, I know who you're talking about. That's the Antichrist. At the center of this rescue plan, heads of state and government must, watch this word, recommit to seven years. Uh, meaning there was already a commitment on the table. We need to recommit now to seven years of accelerated, sustained and transformative action, both nationally and internationally, to deliver on the promise of the SDG, Sustainable Development Goals, of which there are 17, by the way. We've talked about it prior. Time does not permit. Every single one of those goals, Book of Revelation. Still quoting at the global level, global level, a once in a generation commitment is needed to overhaul the international financial and economic system. Oh, <laughs> you don't say. So that a response to today's challenges, not those of the 1940s. Further specificity was provided in May of this year by way of this United Nations General Assembly Economic and Social Council advanced unedited version of the General Assembly 78th session, specifically item 19 of the preliminary list, Sustainable Development, Progress Towards the Sustainable Development Goals Towards a, and here it is again, Rescue Plan for People and Planet, presented as a special edition report of the Secretary General. Listen to page 3, section 911. 911. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Item 9. Building on the evidence captured in the Global Sustainable Development Report and on the lessons since 2015. Oh, that's, this has been on the table since 2015. Yes. This report identifies a series of urgent actions for your consideration in five key areas. Item 10. First, 
I urge heads of state and government to recommit to seven years of accelerated, sustained and transformative action, both nationally and internationally to deliver on the promise of the SDGs. Item 11, this calls for the strengthening, more specific now, of social cohesion to secure dignity, opportunity, and rights for all, while reorienting economies through green and digital transitions. How clever is that crafted? This reorienting of green and digital economies well, it's expounded on when you get to page 31, which says, and I quote, fully leverage digital technology to expand the foundations, including registries, digital IDs, and financial inclusion on which more comprehensive, dynamic, and adaptive social protective systems can be built. Translated, social credit scores, CBDC, centralized bank digital currency that they're going to restructure, reorient globally, and connected socially. On June 24th, the Daily Hoddle published an article titled, United Nations Proposes Digital ID System Tied to Bank Accounts and Mobile Payment Platforms, which basically explains what the real agenda is. Listen to this quote, the United Nations is proposing a universal digital ID system that would directly connect to people's bank accounts and payment apps a comprehensive new policy agenda from UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres details, listen, an identification network designed to digitize and streamline the process of verifying people's identities on a global scale. Can you say blockchain? Still quoting, digital IDs linked with bank or mobile money accounts can improve the delivery of, here it is again, social protection coverage, and to serve to better reach eligible beneficiaries. Digital technologies may help to reduce leakage, errors, and costs in the design of social protection programs, social protection programs. The proposal follows a move by the World Economic Forum to explore, listen very carefully, systems that would track and verify human identities using biometrics. It seems that the aforementioned UN General Secretary isn't the only one who sees 2023 as a year of reckoning so too does what's known as BRICS also see 2023 as a year of reckoning, according to this foreign policy post on June 22nd. 
For those asking what BRICS is and why this is so significant, BRICS is an acronym for Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa, all of which have a significant impact on the global economy. So much so that at their upcoming annual summit next month in August, they will, as an emerging power, decide on enlarging Ikbir, their member states. Why? Because 20 countries are now seeking membership in the group. The problem is they will only add five more to the existing five. If my maths, that's the proper way I was told, is correct. Five plus five equal ten. And that is significant prophetically, and this for two reasons. First, some are connecting the propensity of BRICS adding five new members this year in 2023, making it a total of ten, perhaps aligning with the prophecies in Daniel and Revelation about ten kings. In Revelation it's ten toes, and uh, Daniel ten toes, Revelation ten horns. The jury's out, and this remains to be seen, but I'm excited. I can't wait, August, if we're still here. If they add five more, I'm going to get really excited. Wait, you're going to get more excited? Can you let me know when so I don't come? Because that's a little bit more excitement than I can handle. No, I won't let you know when. Here's a second reason it has prophetic significance. And, I, and hear me out on this, okay, please. It has prophetic significance because, as we just saw in our Bible prophecy basics, the Lord wants us to know this. And as such, God would never fault anyone for getting excited and being hopeful under the banner of longing for His appearing in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church, which He Himself encouraged us as His followers to do. We see the day approaching. You see this? The day's approaching. The UN's. We need seven years. The day I see the day approaching. Um, there's one more aspect to what I'll affectionately refer to as the BRICS factor that potentially has profound prophetic significance. And if you'll kindly allow me to, I'll take the remainder of our time. We're almost done, another hour or two. <laughs> no, we're almost done. But uh, we will at this time end the live stream on uh, Facebook and YouTube. Here's a quote from a video titled, BRICS Summit 2023, Expectations, Agenda, Goals. Besides the BRICS Bank, I'm quoting, it's been reported that the bloc leaders agreed to create other entities such as a vaccine center and a new credit rating agency. Your vaccination verification is what your ability to buy based on your score will be predicated. 
in just that one sentence you have Revelation chapter 13, along with other prophecies. Uh, still quoting, these agreements haven't been implemented yet, but we'll see if anything is announced during the summit, again in August. I'm sure there will be, listen, surprises given how things have been progressing lately. <laughs> if you don't mind, I'd like to turn a sharp corner before we bring it to a close with this last statement about how surprisingly things have been progressing lately. Let me explain. You know, what I just shared with you today, for some, it's just more technical, financial, geopolitical information. However, for others, those that are barely hanging on in the arena of the personal, this is just inconsequential in view of what's happening in your life right now. I mean, yes, it is encouraging and therefore encourage one another with these words, all the more as you see the day approaching. But until then, I don't know how I'm going to make it through another day. I want to talk to you. If that's not you, save the link for later. I want to talk to those that are hurting today and struggling. Things have been progressing lately in your life, and not in a good way. And it seems to keep going from bad to worse, which was actually the title of Thursday night's Bible study. It might be the inexplicable death of a loved one, a medical diagnosis and prognosis, a prodigal son or wayward daughter. Perhaps it's a combination of things involving not only physical illness, but maybe even mental illness. Maybe it's marriage problems, maybe it's financial problems, maybe it's all of the, of the above. Why do I mention this? Because the recent surprising progression of these things, quote unquote, as of late, means that the hour is late. In other words, the closer we get to the fire of God's judgment in the seven-year tribulation, the more we feel the heat of the fiery trials in our lives pre-tribulation. One of the things I'm learning in my own life is that God's furnace of affliction is multi-purpose in the sense that it burns off the ropes that bind us, as God then delivers us. Isaiah 48.10 says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. Psalm 34.19, David, oh David, many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. 
In Acts chapter 14, verses 21, 22, there's an interesting account. They were preaching the gospel, winning a lot of people to Christ. Verse 21, they preached the good news in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. And listen to what they said. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. See, I don't want to hear that. What does that mean? Consider this. Could it be that that affliction, that furnace of affliction that you're in right now, that you don't think you're, you're getting out of, you're not making it out of this one. Could it be that it's really to prepare you for your entrance into eternity? How so? Well, again, consider with me how that trials and affliction have this way of forcing us to let go of this world, not our home. If we're honest with ourselves, we would have to admit that it's when things are very hard that we want Jesus to come. And conversely, when things are going well, yeah. No hurry, no worry. But boy, let adversity strike. Jeez, oh Lord, come quickly. Don't you think God knows that? Could it be that that's why God has allowed this trial into your life? He's preparing you for that which He's been preparing for you. Behold, I go to prepare a place for you. And if you're holding on so tightly to this world, not your home, you're you're not going to be looking up to the place that I'm preparing for you in my Father's home. I'd like to pose a question that I ask of myself before we close. Basically the same question in a different way. Could God be allowing the heat to turn up before He takes us up, knowing that it's the only time we'll ever look up. Now, if that's true, and I believe with all my heart that it is, then all the more reason to just calm down and look up, because we're about to be caught up. One more thing, those fiery trials, that furnace of affliction, it has the much needed effect of us losing our life in this world. As Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 25, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Here's the bottom line. People and planet will not be rescued or saved. It's too late. It's lost. Which is why only Jesus is the Savior of the people 
And instead of rescuing the earth, He's going to create the new heavens and earth. And it could happen this year. And don't let anyone, I'll say it one last time, grieve the excitement of the Holy Spirit in you for the return of Jesus Christ, because He's coming. And He's coming very soon, at an hour we expect not. I want to end with the Gospel, because it's never been more important. This is not life and death, this is eternal life, and eternity and hell at stake. This is why we do the ABCs of salvation. Again, just a simple childlike explanation. I don't want to rush through it. And we will have a but God testimony, very powerful one, by the way, today. But just very simply, the A is for admit or acknowledge that you're a sinner, because unless and until you do, why would you be interested in the Savior if you don't acknowledge that you're a sinner? No need. Romans 3.10 says, there is no one righteous, not even one. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. It's because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 is really the sentencing phase, if I could borrow that metaphor, because there's a penalty now. The wages of sin is death. It's the death penalty. But here's the good news. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. How so? Because He paid the penalty in your stead. He died in your place. His blood shed in your stead. The B is for believe, very central. Believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe would not perish, but have everlasting life. And the C, lastly, is for call upon the name of the Lord, or confess, as Romans 10.13 says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Childlike simple, not childish. Childlike simple. The gospel is so simple. Please don't complicate the gospel. It's very simple. If you've never called upon Him, believed in Him, I implore you today, today is the day of salvation. Everything I shared today, only a sampling of all the things that are happening in terms of Bible prophecy. The day is at hand. We see the day approaching. I know I've gone longer than usual. I know I, I never do that, but I, can I just uh, humbly ask you for a few more minutes to share with you a very powerful but God testimony? 
I selected this testimony for two specific reasons. The first of which is that I sensed it would be of great encouragement to the many who today find themselves in that aforementioned furnace of affliction. And second, maybe more specifically, as an encouragement to what I would argue are more people than we could ever even begin to realize who are suffering in silence. Parents concerning their children, especially given everything that's happening in the world today with this younger generation. They're dealing with things that we could have never imagined, which again is another sign that the day is approaching. It comes from Adriana Brown, who writes, Dear Pastor J.D., I stumbled upon your online ministry back in the summer of 2020 after being on a desperate hunt to validate my thoughts that we must be nearing the end of the world as we know it. Your timely presence in my life has been a tremendous blessing, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your tireless efforts in spreading the message of hope in Jesus and reminding us of the approaching day. She sees the the approaching day of His coming. I live on a farm near Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Say that fast five times quickly. She said that. I can't even say it once. This is in Canada. While I hold deep affection for my pastors and their commitment to preach the Word every Sunday. The subject of end times is typically avoided, leaving me longing for a spiritual leader who shares my passion. That's when I found you, and for the past three years you have become my pastor. It is my honor to be. Your heartfelt commitment to reaching the lost is evident in your words, and I eagerly look forward to your Sunday morning messages every week. Your ability to challenge, convict, comfort, and deliver wisdom with humility is truly admirable. Also, love your sense of humor. I love you. (laughs) Just say (laughs) emoji. I have worked at a university for 32 years in the field of environmental science and toxicology, and I am surrounded by colleagues and students who have no interest in God or church. I love my job, and I look forward to coming to work every day. For just over three decades, God has given me the privilege and provided many opportunities to witness to those at work. However, I've noticed a shift in their willingness to engage with such discussions. Christianity is often disregarded in our workplace, labeled as unscientific and absurd. The situation worsened during the COVID-19 pandemic and vaccine debates. I faced insults and threats due to my choice of not getting the shot, and even close relationships became strained. Once we were in the thick of things with COVID and the shot, I was called everything from an idiot, uneducated, redneck, and delusional to murderer. My interim boss at the time, a dear friend, was so angry and frustrated that I refused the shot, that he took every opportunity to intimidate me with texts, emails, and scientific journal articles that he sent over, trying to prove to me that science said the shot was the only answer. 
my assistant of 16 years seemed to change overnight. She and I were very close, and in the beginning of the pandemic, she was just as skeptical as me. But I think fear caused her to choose the shot, shot so she could return to work with everyone else. And when my job was threatened, the perceived alliance with me was something she could not handle. Working from home for two and a half years, I felt isolated and despised by those I had cared for and who had cared for me. In the midst of these trials, our youngest daughter, who was 16 at the time, battled with anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts. It was a steady progression from cutting to her trying to take her life several times. Witnessing this transition was heart-wrenching. We did everything we could to keep her safe, but she always found a way to hurt herself. We recognized the enemy's hands all over her and knew we were living Ephesians 6.12. During all of this, I had your messages of hope through your prophecy updates. Stumbling onto you was no accident. God knew what our family was going to face at the beginning of COVID, and He sent me His blessed hope through your words. I have learned more about the Bible in the past three years than all of the years before as a Christian because of prophecy. I had no idea how much was in the Old Testament about the end times, and naively only thought that Revelation was about the last days. But as valuable as your wisdom and insight about the end times was, I found your humility and constant reminder to us to not see others as Republican or Democrat or pro-vax or anti-vax, but rather as saved and unsaved to be the most valuable. It was and still is easy to get caught up with anger and justification when facing the lies of the enemy. But when you look past the eye rolling, name calling and finger wagging, there stands a scared lost soul. So there I found myself immersed in deep despair as we fought for our daughter's well-being. Waves of depression crashed over me, threatening to overwhelm me completely. But God, I called out to God in prayer many times throughout those years and moments when I felt utterly incapable of caring for Nevaeh. My pleas to God would turn into desperate demands for Him to fix her. Often my own misguided confidence led me to take matters into my own hands, attempting to handle everything myself, only to stumble and realize my need to return to Him once again. But in those moments when I would earnestly talk to God and truly listen to His voice, His response would be clear. I have her. I have her. She's mine. Although I couldn't comprehend why he seemed to be taking so long <laughs> to bring about a change in my circumstances, I realized that my understanding was limited. So were my solutions. God orchestrated the perfect alignment of events from guiding us to the right doctors to ensuring the timely availability of a hospital bed and a mental health facility. It was in this setting that the power of prayer became evident. Nevaeh, at her lowest point, experienced a miraculous turnaround. Prompted by the Holy Spirit, Scott and I entered 
her hospital room while she went to have her lunch. There we fervently prayed, pouring out our hearts to God. We claimed authority as Nevaeh's parents and thank God for giving us this authority. We asked the Holy Spirit to fill a room with his love, peace and guidance. We proclaimed that Nevaeh is a child of God made in his perfect image because she's the daughter of the king. No weapon forged against her is going to prevail. We thank Jesus for his sacrifice on the cross so Nevaeh could walk in victory. We ask for heavenly protection to envelop her always and ask that Nevaeh would see her self-worth through the eyes of the God who created her and loves her. We prayed that this darkness in her life was finished and any new threats would be crushed in the name of Jesus. Well, Nevaeh returned after lunch, and it was in that moment that we witnessed the incredible transformation of our daughter. She returned to her room with a big smile on her face and hopped onto her bed. She told us that she was so sorry for her behavior the day before and that she didn't mean the words that she spoke to us. She explained that the words that came out of her mouth weren't hers, that when she said them, her mind was screaming, that's not how I feel. That's not what I think. That isn't me. She told us that she felt better than she had in months and that she was done wanting to harm herself. And the thought of harming herself made her feel sick to her stomach. It was finished. <laughs> if we weren't believers, we would have thought this was all an act to leave the hospital. But we knew that Nevaeh was restored. We had spent the past years watching our daughter slowly disappear until she was unrecognizable. But God, in His perfect time, He healed her. In the early months of 2022, the university lifted their COVID vaccine mandate, and I was allowed to return to work. Can you imagine? <laughs> They've had a pretty rough three years. I remember the feeling of terror at the thought of walking back into the building to face the scoffers and haters that thought I had lost my mind. My boss continued to send the hate mail. My assistant had stopped speaking to me and the other faculty, students and staff shared the same sentiment that I had gone off the deep end with my crazy religious beliefs. How could I return? One morning I was particularly distraught with the thoughts of facing my work world in person. I cried out to God, begging Him, please God, find me another job, <laughs> pleading with Him to protect me from having to go back to the den of vipers. Amid my sobs, God's still quiet voice said, I want you to go back. You're the only Christian. Talk about a sobering moment. Guess I'm going back. I won't lie and tell you that I still didn't have some fear as my first day back approached, but I did feel completely confident that I had a mission. I no sooner walked through the door when I had the first student come welcome me back with a big hug and a lengthy conversation about how much I was missed. 
This was followed by a steady stream of people sharing that same sentiment, followed by many opportunities since then to talk to some about why I refused the shot. But that's not all. My assistant got another position on campus, and I was able to replace her with an absolute gem. I love it when God does that. My boss went on a sabbatical. I love it when God does that too. This just two weeks after my return and a few months later, a new permanent director was hired, who is the most wonderful boss I've ever had. It was evident when I returned how much everyone had missed being together. God continues to provide opportunities that work for me to share my faith, and I know that it's exactly where I need to be. God is so good. This brings us to today. Scott and I were sitting on a patio a couple weeks back thinking about how we wanted to spend our summer vacation. We hadn't traveled since 2019 and know full well that another lockdown will be coming. And if not that, then a digital passport will stop us from future travel very soon. So we started to toss around the idea that this could be our last vacation ever. We better make it special. And where do we want to go? Well, Hawaii, of course. I got to go meet and thank the man who, through God's Word, kept me grounded and kept me hopeful. We booked our flights. We'll be coming to Oahu. Can't wait to see you and meet you. We're so excited. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for fighting the good fight and continuing to teach about our blessed hope. I can imagine you have felt many kinds of trials and persecutions over the years, and especially now as we barrel towards the end. I see the enemy's attacks coming stronger and faster every day. When I face them in my life, it prompts me to push harder, knowing I'm doing what the enemy hates. Much love, Adriana. P.S. This picture that I've had on the screen, you guys might want to put it back up. This is our family at Nevaeh's grade 12 graduation in the summer of 2022. She, she is now in her second year of university. Only God could do that. Let's go ahead and stand. Second service has already arrived. So, Father, thank you so much. You're so good, God. It's no matter who we are, how bad we are, what we've done, nothing could separate us from the love that you have for us, neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities nor anything created. Your love for us is unconditional. There's no way you could love us more than you love us. And you will never love us less than you love us. For anyone here today that maybe is just questioning the enemies, gotten to them, and they're doubting your love for them, we just, we just love them. For anyone who has a similar situation with a son or a daughter, they need to hear it from you, Lord, that you've got them. You've got them. They're yours. 
and that you love them more than we ever could. To never give up hope and to keep praying. Thank you, God, for your goodness, for your grace, for your love. In the name of Jesus, amen.